Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowley. It's the final week of the referendum campaign, and today we'll be summing up the referendum campaign and considering what we can expect on referendum night. My guest today is Peter Brent. Peter is an election watcher and writer for Inside Story. Hello, Peter. G'day, Ben. We're now in the final days of the voice referendum, the first constitutional referendum in Australia in the 21st century. At the moment, the referendum looks likely to be headed for defeat, with no holding a significant lead in every major poll. But there's still a lot to pay attention to this week, and there'll probably be some really interesting results that we see on Saturday night, even if the final number is not particularly close. Peter, are you surprised by the state of the race at this point? No, I'm not surprised by what the polls are telling us and what will be the likely result overall on Saturday night, um, because this is a Labor government holding a referendum midterm, and this is pretty well what always happens. The Liberal opposition, they might not have known it themselves, but they were always going to oppose because a Liberal opposition leader can do no other if he or she wants to keep their job, and holding a referendum midterm just leaves, I mean, the government and no doubt the Uluru people thought that having it midterm would unclutter it and allow, uh, possibly keep politics out of it and allow a mature, sensible, sober conversation with the electorate. Um, I think we've seen that that's hasn't happened and this is what tends to happen during midterm Labor government elections in particular. Why is Labor wasting money on this? Why are they wasting this money? What are they trying to do? What's their hidden agenda, etc., etc.? This one in particular with race, because of the topic itself, ugly race polemics have come into it as well. Peter, you were making some interesting points on social media this week around judging the effectiveness of the campaigns, the yes campaign, the no campaign. There's a lot of anonymous sources out there saying, oh, it's the worst campaign we've seen. They're doing such a terrible job. I'm not necessarily saying they've done a great job, but making an interesting point about the danger of judging the effectiveness of the campaigns based on what the raw votes are, considering that this is not a symmetrical contest. Well, yes. I mean, we see this after every election, whoever won ran a brilliant campaign and the loser ran an absolute turkey, according to the accepted uh, wisdom. Even during election campaigns, an opinion poll movement can lead to people revising what they'd said about X event yesterday in the light of a different opinion poll. And generally, because we've gone from 60-40 one way to 60-40 another, basically, in the opinion polls, Everyone can see what the yes side is doing wrong. And we're even seeing some quite bizarre analysis painting the no side as running a quote-unquote disciplined campaign and an effective campaign. Whereas I think any fairly clear view of the campaigns, um, sure, we can see, we can all point to things that yes could have done differently. In particular, Prime Minister Albanese could have done a bit more reading and so on. But the no side has been quite a schmozzle of egos and meltdowns and contradictions. And I mean, the leader of the no side has even announced that he's been driven mad and suicidal and it's the prime minister's fault. I mean, it's, it's just been a pretty crazy no campaign. But I think, again, when Labor holds a midterm referendum, this is what happens. And whoever's on the no side generates that kudos for running a brilliant campaign. Part of the story as well is when you go to cast your vote and decide how you want to vote, yes, 
represents a particular model, a particular principle, frankly, much more concrete than when you vote for a person in an election, right? Because then, uh, you know, parties make promises, but you don't really know if circumstances will change or if they will carry through on those promises or whether budgets will get in the way. We know very much a set of words will be inserted into the constitution if you vote yes, whereas no doesn't have to represent something coherent. You can think Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine are a joke and vote no. You can vote no for a variety of different reasons because you think it's not radical enough or it's too radical or because it's a waste of time or whatever. You don't need that same discipline in order to win a no campaign. I think that is partly why we see that it's so rare that they are successful without bipartisan support is because it's quite easy to find some holes to poke in things, whereas in an election, one side can have holes poked in their arguments and so can the other side. I mean, it's there are differences between being an incumbent or not being an incumbent, but it is more symmetrical. I see it as a subset of trying to introduce change in Australian politics or trying to get people to vote for change at an election, whether it's a GST or changing franking credits policy The team trying to advocate it feels obliged to not promise Nirvana, to be modest, to just say that we think this is a good idea, it it won't be a silver bullet for anything, but we think it'll be a a modest improvement. Um, The benefits will come in the long run or the medium term. Whereas the no side can just scream uh, all sorts of things and make each person scared of what this change will do. And if, if they fly this kite, that doesn't work, they'll fly another one and people can become worried about um, what these changes will do. And so I I see a a midterm referendum like that. I just want to add that Labor government referendums concurrent with elections have done much better in vote terms, not necessarily in overall outcome, although the only Labor government success at a referendum was with a general election in 1946. The support for referendums that Labor governments hold with elections averages about 48, 49%, I think, whereas midterm averages in the high 30s. Again, this is just repeating old patterns. It might be a little bit hard to distinguish what is caused by having the election on the day versus midterm, as opposed to the fact that we had a lot more election day referendums early in the 20th century, and we had a lot more midterm elections later in the 20th century. And so when you look at the historical record, it looks like they've been doing worse. And it's not really clear to me how those different things interact. Like we have a pretty small sample size as well. So I think there might be a factor there as well that, you know, people may just have become less willing to support referendums. I think what happens at a referendum concurrent with elections is that it's just not discussed much. Obviously, people are thinking and talking about the election itself. So there's not the space for all the natter and hysteria that we are seeing right now. We're recording this on Monday and uh, the latest polls I've seen, there's a Resolve poll that's come out in the last couple of days that when you drill it down to a binary choice, it's like 56-44. But then there's also a news poll that's just come out in the last couple of days that is a lot stronger for no, it's 63-37, whereas the previous news poll, I mean, news poll's been leaning a little bit towards no, was 61-39. So, you know... Some of them are pointing towards like historic defeat along the levels of 1988. Some of them are suggesting it might be a little bit closer, but yes, is a long way away from winning. There's certainly no herding uh, <laughs> at this election. 57 and 63 is such a big gap. You sometimes see that during election campaigns, 
Uh, but that's also like, I think the last Victorian one, the polls were sort of a bit all over the place as well. But either way, it's obviously a big loss. One interesting thing is at general elections, pollsters are more or less asking the same question. That is, if an election were held today, how would you vote? Or during the campaign, they ask this coming Saturday, how will you vote? I had a look at news poll today and it, it says, you know, there's a referendum coming up. Do you approve? I think it'd be better just asking how people are going to vote. And I'm not sure about uh, the other one, what their wording is at the moment. One, one problem is that if, even if the pollsters change their wording, the newspapers themselves don't get the memo and they, certainly the Australian today has very old wording there in their graphic. News polls has changed. I think their latest one mentioned Saturday the 14th. You know, the one last month didn't, just said later this year. So, I mean, the wording obviously makes a difference, but this is a very imprecise science. So, you know, something that happens every 20, 25 years. Uh, what is the right way to phrase a question? I don't know. So the question they used in the October poll was, on October the 14th, Australians will decide at a referendum whether to alter the Australian Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? Right, so you're saying you think maybe it makes more sense to ask how will you vote rather than do you approve this in principle? I do, yeah. I mean, because you don't ask people, would you like to see Labor win the election or Labor to win your electorate? You say, who will you vote for? They can be different things. Yeah. But it's obviously not going to overturn a 60-40 lead. And there's also a poll from an outlet called Focal Data, which is British. Now, we don't have a history of them in Australia. The overall numbers were 61-39, so kind of, a little bit less than news poll, but still pretty solid. I would say probably landslide victory at that point. Uh, they've also conducted a seat level, multi-level regression MRP, which is similar to what we've had from YouGov, which has often been interesting. Um, it's it's pretty much what you would expect um, in terms of the trends. Again, looking similar to the Republic referendum, inner cities voting. I mean, we've also had polls that do breakdowns by inner city, out of metro, et cetera. Inner cities probably voting majority for yes, and then as you get further away from the cities, the yes vote drops away. And that kind of makes sense. It seems like the general picture we're looking at now. Yeah. Someone tweeted that the only ones that are showing a yes vote and they're mostly in Sydney and Melbourne and they're mostly inner city, as we can expect to see on Saturday night. I'm not saying they'll vote yes, but they'll have the highest yes votes. If yes is losing 60-40, they're going to lose a lot of seats, right? And the seats they win will be a handful where their support is strongest. But that doesn't necessarily change the trend line of which seats are more relatively more pro-yes or pro-no than if the result was 50-50. Now, Anthony's been doing a great job of keeping a blog post updated showing the postal voting and pre-poll voting numbers, so I haven't paid a huge amount of attention to them, but they're pretty high. There was a bit of a unusual thing that when the first day of pre-poll opened, we had a number of public holidays in certain states, but not everywhere, which meant the trend started differently. But at this point, I mean, pre-poll numbers are now starting to exceed the numbers we got at the same point in the last federal election, which was a very high number. As a proportion of enrolled voters, as of the end of Saturday, 12.5% of people had already voted pre-poll, and it had been 11.5% at the same point in the federal election. So we're probably on track for about a third of voters to cast a pre-poll vote. 
And that's sort of consistent with the trends we've been seeing post-COVID, but there's no evidence that it's dropping away at all. Meanwhile, postal voting is also very strong. We've had a large number of postal vote applications, and I think it's exceeding the numbers we saw in 2022. Also, people expect turnout will be lower than the election. So if we assume that, then that increases those proportions of turnout, which is what we end up looking at at the end rather than proportion of the electoral roll. At this point, you have to calculate it based on the proportion of the roll because we don't know what the proportion of the turnout will be. But you're right. If if there's a drop, that will have to be hit in the referendum day vote. That, of course, uh, creates havoc in a lot of media reporting because they quote current figures counted as a proportion of the electoral roll and it causes them to report all sorts of strange things. Let's talk about what we're going to watch for on referendum night. Normally, when we have an election, we have match swing results, which is the basic principle of that is you have matched every booth that's being used at this election to the results of the last election. You know, I don't normally do it, but I know Anthony Green and Casey Briggs do it for the ABC. William Bowe does it for Channel 9. You have all that, and that means if three booths are in, you're able to compare the results for those three booths just to the results for those three booths last time, and it basically accounts for bias. It's getting a little bit more complicated because of pre-poll voting, but that's the basic principle. We don't have any of that for this referendum because we have no previous voice referendum results to look at. One of the things I have been looking at is I think there's reason to think that the trends will be kind of similar to what we had for the Republic referendum in 1999, but a lot has changed since then. You know, it's been a quarter of a century. There's a whole generation of people who are voting now who weren't able to vote then and of course whole new suburbs that existed didn't then so that is a hard one to watch but what will you be paying attention to on referendum night well first of all if the counting is as fast as it is at elections or should be faster really i think Anton will be calling it pretty early i mean assuming it's about 60 40 then whether you use these booths to project whatever it's all going to happen so quickly that the outcome will be known very very soon Um, we've been talking on the assumption that electorates will be reported. Whoever's doing the number crunching, you know, it's obviously not up to electorates, it's up to states. Each state is its own electorate. Uh, Will Anthony be, William or um, whoever be reporting electorates? I I suppose they will be. Tasmania will be really interesting, partly because it hasn't been much polled because of its small population. So any national poll just only gets a small sample for that. They often leave out of their reporting. Tasmania has traditionally been a relative no-sayer at constitutional referendums, driven by, uh, you know, if Canberra wants it, we don't want it, back off Canberra. This time they have the only Liberal state government in the country and that government is pro-yes. They have Bridget Archer, who I... Imagine has a very high profile there, being a party maverick, and she's campaigning strongly for yes. You know, she's not the only pro-yes Liberal MP, but she's far more prominent in Tasmania than, say, like Julian Lisa would be in New South Wales, right? For sure, for sure. I mean, she's a long-standing maverick. You know, she's been at odds with her party for a long time, and voters notice that and they tend to like that. But on the other hand, the government there is undergoing some uh, ructions at the moment. I don't know how that might turn people off. So watching Tasmania will be very interesting because like five of the 44 referendums have failed because they hit the double majority hurdle. And that is a national majority, but not a majority of states. At all of those five, Tasmania was on the no side. And at three of them, if Tasmania had changed its vote, the referendum would have passed. 
I'm not suggesting that we're going to get a national majority yes this time, but Tasmania will be interesting. And what order do the states line up? We expect Victoria number one. I think it might be Tasmania. I mean... Sorry, yeah, apart from Tassie, I mean. Yeah, you're right about the polling. We don't get a lot of polling out of Tassie, but we have seen a couple of polls that have tried to poll all six states and they've had Tassie as the most pro-yes and often the only state voting yes or one of only two voting yes. I think there's reason to think that. I think the Archer argument, the Liberal state government argument makes sense. I don't think the usual reasons why Tasmania votes no really apply as much here. I looked at a lot of analysis of like... What states tend to shuffle into what order? And like Tasmania overwhelmingly usually comes fifth or sixth in terms of the yes vote. Very strongly pro-no state Um, to the point where even if yes, it could have flipped and given a double majority, there's usually another state that's in a better position to flip. Yeah, I think Tassie does look reasonably strong for yes, but there's a lot of uncertainty around that because of the polling. Um, It was interesting when I looked at the resolve breakdown by state, kind of putting aside margins of error for the moment, We've traditionally had the yes vote in the fourth best yes state, which is what I call the tipping point state, is usually not as good as the yes vote nationally, which means if you get a 50-50 national vote, you don't win because it's not enough in the states. What's interesting is I actually think that's not happening right now. Like I looked at the resolve poll, South Australia was the fourth best yes state and it had a weaker yes vote than the national vote. Queensland's gotten much bigger in the last quarter of a century. Queensland's voting very strongly no, and it's kind of counterbalancing the stronger yes vote. It might not be a majority in New South Wales and Victoria. And so the last time the national yes vote was weaker than the yes vote in the fourth best state was 1910. Like it has not happened in over a century. It only happened twice, both in 1910. Shuffling Tasmania up in the top half also alone would do that. Yeah, that would help a lot. So I think we might end up in a situation where the double majority is not relevant. But again, I don't think it'll be close enough for it to matter. But, you know, if the polls are off by a bit, something happens in the next week, but like it would have to be dramatic to change it. I don't think we're going to see that. But yeah, I think the shape of how the country votes will be quite different to what we've seen, particularly Tasmania. I mean, WA and Queensland voting no, that's been pretty standard in the second half of the 20th century. But the Tasmanian element is interesting and that does make a big difference to how much the double majority question comes into play. Queensland and WA, as you say, they're going to be the biggest no voters. They usually are in the top three of no votes and they're going to be again. New South Wales has traditionally been a relative yes voter and the polls are suggesting that as well. I'm a little bit sceptical about that. I mean, the reason they've tended to be a yes voters because they're the most populous state and so they tend not to see Canberra as riding roughshod over them. If anything, Canberra helps them ride roughshod over the smaller states. But they're conservative. We saw in the same-sex marriage survey, they were pretty low relative to the other states. That was a combination of basically religious people in the bush and religious people in the western suburbs of Sydney. They were both strong no voters, and we can expect the same in the bush. A interesting question is what happens in those high NESB electorates? There's been some reporting of polls that has immigrants, quote unquote, as relatively supportive. I'm very sceptical of that. What about you? I don't really know what to think. I mean, Okosomaris has been saying stuff like that, and he gets to look at a lot more polling data than you or I, so maybe he's got a point. That's one worth watching. I think when we're looking at the results, because i um, You know, seats are interesting, but of course, it's not about seats. It is about states. States are big 
things. They're difficult to break down. I think we will sometimes see reporting based on seats just to give you a bit of a shape of things. You know, polling booths are too granular, really. You know, we won't have a match swing, but I think we'll be watching to see how is Yes performing compared to the two-party preferred will still be of interest, even though it won't correlate particularly well. One of the things that I've been analysing over the last couple of days as well is looking at that 1999 referendum. One of the things I found interesting is when I matched those referendum results to modern-day electorates in 2022, the Labor two-party preferred vote in 2022 lines up much more neatly with that yes vote than it did in 1998. Like the two-party preferred battlegrounds in 2022 look a lot more like the Republic vote than they did in 1998. So I wonder if that means we will see a bit stronger correlation between referendum results and election results this time. It's not going to be that the yes wins in Labor seats and loses in Liberal seats because yes is not going to poll as highly as Labor did in 2022, at least on a two-party preferred basis. But I think we might see a similar trend. So I don't really know about Western Sydney. I think probably those multicultural seats will rank somewhere in the middle. I suspect they'll rank high no, but in terms of the 2PP, certainly WA is going to let the side down on that with their incredible pro-Labor result last year. But if you did that analysis state by state, i.e. allowing for state overall results, but then there's those uh, quote-unquote teal seats. I'm sure they're going to have a relatively high vote and they don't have particularly high Labor 2PPs. Labor doesn't win the 2PP in most of those seats now. They're a lot closer than they were 25 years ago. They're not as uh, safe as they were then. On a 2PP basis, they look more like marginal Liberal seats now, whereas they once looked like safe Liberal seats. And those seats that the Greens won off Liberals, Labor has 2PPs in those. Um, uh, Ryan, Brisbane and Griffith. That's right, yeah. They were potential teal seats, you would think. It looks like Queensland's going to vote pretty strongly for no. I wouldn't be shocked if those three seats vote yes and the rest of the state votes no. Like that would be a not very surprising map. Well, it'll be unsurprising if they top the Queensland yes vote, but but whether they tip over the 50% line is uh, who knows. I still think some of these inner city seats are going to be clear majorities, even in Brisbane, but I don't know, like... Maybe I should stop looking at 1999 and start looking at 1988, which was the last like proper landslide we had, right? Like no one very comfortably that year. And I don't think yes won many seats. I think maybe the best referendum for yes in 1988, they won like 18 seats out of 150. So that'd be an interesting one to look at actually about like what happens when you have such a devastating result. Like those ones were barely polling a third of the vote, I think. And those seats actually would have been, I imagine, I know that you've disaggravated the electorate results for all referendums. Queensland, unusually, was a relatively high yes voter in 1988, and in particular at the one that would have been used by the federal government to interfere with their elections, the free and fair elections. Queensland broke its long-term habit of being a relative no voter that year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, fair elections got 38% nationally and 45% in Queensland. So by far the strongest state. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one to look at as well. We're not looking at a particularly close referendum, right? Like we think it'll be pretty clear 
mostly it'll be interesting to see the relative trends and see how quickly we can call this thing on, on the night. Yeah, is there anything anything else of interest to you that you're going to be watching? One thing I'm not looking forward to is uh, the uh, analysis, the gloating, the huge media story, the sniping from different factions of the yes side at each other. Uh, so I'm going to try as much as I can to, to uh, not read or listen or watch anything to do with the referendum afterwards because it'll be quite unbearable. I think it is one of those things where maybe if we had them more often that you couldn't pull that trick. You know, I think there's been a bunch of media strategies used, rhetoric used in this referendum that you can only really pull off when no one has experience with it, talking about what a terrible campaign, how it's going, or the ticks and crosses thing, stuff like that, that people were a bit more used to referendums, you know, maybe there wouldn't be as much of that. I don't know. Sure, yeah. One more thing uh, that has just come to mind, Indigenous voters. That's going to definitely be interesting and be looked at. The AEC has pulled out all stops to bring the estimated enrolment rate for Indigenous Australians up to close to the rest of the country. Um, I imagine they've done that by selectively relaxing the rules for their direct enrolment program. But the problem with increasing your enrolment rate is that for a given turnout, number of people who turn out, it decreases the on-paper percentage turnout, which is turnout as a percentage of enrolled. So there will be a low Indigenous turnout and that's going to be talked about. And also, obviously, the Indigenous booths, how they vote, that'll be certainly looked at as well. Well, I read somewhere that in 1967, I mean, yes, one overwhelmingly in 1967, but the seats that had a relatively large Indigenous population tended to have a lower yes vote. I haven't been able to find the data myself, unfortunately, but I think it's a good disproving of the ecological fallacy that we look at an area and go, well, that area has more Indigenous people. So apart from maybe Lingiari, most seats that have a relatively large Aboriginal population, they're still by far a minority of the population, right? And I think there is reason to think that um, you know, white voters, frankly, in places like that might be a stronger no vote. Like, I don't know what will happen in the Northern Territory vote. It doesn't matter really constitutionally, but it would be an interesting one to watch and to look at those Lingiari booths because there's often an enormous difference in voting trends between those remote booths and uh, like Alice Springs, for example. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we'll identify booths that strongly voted Labor last year that census data shows a high Indigenous uh, population and uh, A, the turnout, and B, what the results are there will be certainly something to watch. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Peter, for joining me. Thank you, Ben. On Saturday night, you'll be able to find me covering the results of the referendum on ABC Radio nationwide. Uh, you can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow the Tally Room on Mastodon at tallyroom and mastodon.au or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to the tallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris Bro for writing the music here in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>